Hey friends, and welcome to the Modern Medusa podcast. Welcome back to the Modern Medusa podcast. This is your host, Dominique DeFalco, DeFalco Reptiles. Super excited to be back behind the mic, kind of getting things rolling again. It's been a bit. I was going to say it's been a couple weeks, but I think it's been a little bit longer than that. It's probably been about two months since I got an episode out there. You know, life just kind of hit hard uh, with work, personal stuff, holidays. Things got crazy, so, you know, I took a little break for a minute. But I am back and super, super excited to be back. Yeah, so it is officially 2022. Um, I think that this is going to be a really incredible year for the podcast. I have a ton of episodes recorded in the bank, ready to go. I just need to get the time to edit it, which I'm definitely making a priority over the next few weeks to just get that backlog up and running so you guys can have access to these incredible interviews I've been able to do. Also, um, if you don't already follow the podcast on Instagram, I recommend you do. Doing a little bit of a, you know, a little makeover and kind of changing up the style a little bit of what I post and our graphics, which hopefully you're going to be able to see with this new podcast icon on whatever your podcatcher of choice is. Trying to make it a little bit more fun, a little bit more cohesive. Things that show off our guests rather than just my logo, because it's, you know, it's a little selfish of me to just put my name on the front. I want to make sure that our guests are getting the highlight and spotlight that they deserve um, with every episode they do. So uh, with this being the first episode of 2022, I wanted to kind of kick it off casually, do something a little bit different. If you haven't noticed, I don't have a guest today because that is, this is going to be a solo episode just about a year ago. You know, it'll be a year in two weeks. Uh, I did my very first episode where I kind of introduced myself very quickly and very nervously and just didn't give you guys a lot of information about who I am. And then I also did a really great biography on Grace Olive Wiley, who is a founding member of Females in Her Pediculture, um, even though she kind of was... Not the best with how she necessarily worked with her venomous snakes, but if you haven't listened to that, go ahead and go back to episode one and you can learn more about her. So today I really wanted to talk about me again, uh, which sounds much more selfish now that I say it out loud, but I put a post up on Instagram a few weeks ago asking people for questions, got some really awesome questions about me, about the podcast, my opinions on a few things. So we'll talk about that. And then I'm going to get into um, biography of a really amazing woman, uh, Betty White. And we're going to talk about her animal activism, the incredible things she's done for, you know, the animal industry. I was heartbroken um, to learn of her passing last week, as I know so many of us were. I had, you know, reached out (laughs) a few months ago, which maybe seems like kind of a crazy thing to do. But I was really trying to get in contact with her team to see if we could talk to her about all the work she does with her animals because I knew how important that was to her and how important getting younger people involved with animal care was. So um, I want to pay homage to her, thank her for all the incredible things that she's done for our hobby, and then just tell everyone else a little bit more about her. Cool. So let's kind of get into it a little bit more. Um, I have about a dozen questions from people who follow me on Instagram and who people who are involved in the Patreon. So thanks everyone for submitting. Um, and I'll just kind of, you know, chit chat a little bit. I don't know why this is so awkward for me. Like I 
record all the time. <laughs> but for some reason, there's something very vulnerable about it just being me. Um, the first question, the question I got a lot was what got me into reptiles. And I feel like I've talked about this a little bit, but maybe not like more in detail. Um, I've been an animal enthusiast since I was a kid. I loved everything creepy crawly. I loved picking up worms. We had this like running very strange game when I was a child where we would pick up worms from my um (laughs) this is very morbid where we'd pick up worms um and bring them into the sandbox and like fill my sandbox with worms and like if they died we named them Britney Spirits because Britney Spears was like all the rage in like 2002 when we were learning about all that stuff and um so that kind of is where a lot of my just like love for everything started and then I really just continued with life. I was very privileged to be able to have a family lake house in upstate New York where I guess I was herping before I even knew what it was. I would go to this one spot at the edge of the lake and catch frogs and small turtles and anything else that I could get in my little, you know, catching net for children. Um, we got a big tote and I tried to build like an ecosystem and put rocks and plants and all of the water and stuff in there and I'd be able to put the frogs in and then at the end of the day I would release them and then catch the same exact frogs the next day. So that was always something really important to me growing up and the salamanders that were up there and just like being able to share that with my family. Um, And then how I actually got into reptile keeping was like way down the line. It was back when I was in college. Graduated a year ago, which is also insane. I was living in Seattle. I had an internship studying. I was studied information systems. I was working at a construction company out there doing marketing. And I was like super lucky with everything I got to do. But I had experienced some uh, loss of friends. Um, And it kind of made me think of what I was doing with my life to make me happy because I was really focused on on succeeding professionally and academically. And, and I realized I didn't have much of a personality outside of the fact that I was an honor student. I got straight A's and I always got the best internships, which was just what I thought is what I wanted in life. But I, I really realized it wasn't. And that's kind of when I leaned back into what was that as a kid always brought me joy and it was animals. It was 1000% animals. And I looked into that and I'm like, okay, what was the animal I loved? And it's green tree pythons, which I keep now. And I, I don't think I like have expressed what an honor it is for me to have this podcast because one of the very first things that got me interested in private reptile keeping was actually Joe's podcast from the ground up. I was researching green tree pythons. I didn't know people kept them in captivity. Um, And I remember listening to a podcast he did where someone, one of his guests was talking about having green tree pythons and I was just flabbergasted. I didn't know that was allowed. Um, (laughs) And I, it's so funny to look back on like Facebook messages to like Joe and to like like Justin Smith and all these guys I call my friends now with me being like hi I'm a big fan of your podcast I would love to learn more are you gonna be at Tinley I want to say hi and it's like holy shit like calm down Dominique you're fine these we're just people um (laughs) so I think that's kind of how I got my foot in the door Justin and Joe helped me a lot they introduced me to Ian Bissell or Bessel sorry Ian I don't know how to say your last name with SJ Reptiles who got me my first green tree python and then it just kind of spiraled from there And the next question I got was like an update on my current collection. So my collection is small. Um, I have about a dozen snakes and a couple of different species of uh, geckos. I have green tree pythons, brettles pythons, and ball pythons. And then I also have a 
jungle carpet python, a striped jungle carpet python from Billy Hunt with Uwa Bom- Oh my God. Uwa Bami reptiles. Um, <laughs> that I love very much. And she's just a baby. Um, and then as geckos wise, I got crested geckos, gargoyle geckos and morning geckos. Collection is small. Um, I wanted to keep it really focused cause I, I've, I've been open about it on my other platforms. I don't know how much I've talked about it on the podcast, but I struggle with some mental health issues that can make it difficult to have too many animals at one time or, or too many species at one time. And when I first got into the hobby, I had a lot more animals and I had just different species all over the board. I had geckos and turtles and snakes and that was because I was working at a rescue and I still do work with them but I just don't take in as many animals um, because I realized I was getting super overwhelmed and losing a lot of just the passion that first brought me in so collection is small um, I absolutely love the animals I have um, someone was asking me what my future plans are I would love to breed in the future I think that sounds really cool really fun very fascinating to me I have had two locks on two different pairings for ball pythons which I know people can make fun of that being like an easy species and a very beginner species which if you want to learn more about that check out the reptile fight club episode I did with Kendra Westy of Puget Sound pythons to learn more about ball pythons as a beginner species and such but it's been a super fun process to get an incubator set up you know trying to make sure the females are doing well and growing correctly and getting the males interested and I'm really enjoying it I think if I looked into the future of what my collection would be green tree pythons are always going to be my favorite species and always going to be the species that I think I focus the most on but there's a ton of other species I'd love to add Morelia, just kind of anything in the Morelia genus always catches my eye. I've been really interested in rough scales, super interested in uh, diamond pythons, just all the green tree lineage and localities I can possibly get. And then I've been fixated on Henkel's leaftail geckos lately. I would just absolutely die for one. And I think that'll probably be my next significant purchase when, when it comes to adding a new species. Outside my reptiles, if you don't follow me on Instagram yet for the reptiles, you should for the cat because her name is Yzma. She is the love of my life. She is a little seven pound uh, ball of anger who has the worst resting bitch face you'll ever see in your entire life much like her namesake Yzma from Emperor's New Groove. She is awesome. I would highly recommend that people don't overlook adopting senior cats at the shelter. Yzma is 13 years old. She was estimated to be 12 when I first adopted her and having her has just been such an incredible addition to my life. And it's hilarious to watch her. She doesn't really mess with the animals at all. I won't let her obviously interact with the reptiles, but um, occasionally if I feed live rats, She likes to sit and like watch them in the holding container that they're in, which is very morbid. Um, And she is way too interested. Uh, But when I had a gecko escape last week, it ran literally right in front of her and she did not flinch. So don't think her prey drive is necessarily there, but she definitely has uh, an interest in some things. Um, uh, Another question I got asked was how my rescue work Uh, affects my view of keepers and breeders great question Uh, I've talked about it before I would do rescue work I'm the intake coordinator for a 501c3 nonprofit reptile rescue in the greater Cincinnati area um, to support your local rescues we need it now more than ever with COVID 
And I like this question because I think it does bring up a good conversation that we should be having of ethical breeding and then like how we as hobbyists are continuing to produce animals that people want, produce animals that the market is not oversaturated with and that aren't going to end up in shelters. There's definitely species that I am against breeding in mass um, because I see the species come in so often or morphs that I just don't think aren't necessarily as beneficial to be breeding in in large numbers. Um, And it's a difficult thing to manage because on the one hand, I do this for the love of the animals and I love my animals and I want to breed my animals and I want to be producing animals that little kids will love and, and cherish just like I've been able to. But also being realistic of the economic value of an animal and that lower priced animals have a higher likelihood of ending up in in shelters as opposed to the, you know, thousand dollar ball python isn't as likely to end up in a shelter as the $25 normal. So I think that's something I've grappled with a lot, especially in the last year or so when I've gotten more serious into looking into breeding and, and getting involved in that regard. Um, and I think one of the things that I've decided for myself is that in the future, if I do breed and, and, and make sales on that, um, a portion of all proceeds will go back to the rescue that I work with. Um, because I do, first of all, appreciate the hard work that our director and our volunteers put in every single day. But I also recognize that I should be supporting people who support us if something happens. Um, so I, 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 I struggle with that some days. Some days it's worse than others. I guess we'll really see when I start producing my own animals if my opinion changes at all. But until then, I just recommend checking out some awesome reptile rescues that, that come to my mind are Arrowhead Reptile Rescue, which is the one I work for, um, Badgerland Reptile Rescue, which I think is in the um, Wisconsin, Chicago area, and then I believe it's Be Wild Reptile Rescue, which is really big on TikTok. And I, I want to say they're in the Carolinas, but I'm not 100% sure um the next question i was asked was if i could herp anywhere in the world where would i go and what species would i look for so like my immediate thought is that i would want to go to uh like australia which is like really basic um and i'd really like to look for you know the the green trees in the northern region um you know anything morelia i'd love to see in the wild but actually like i think if i went herping which i don't do a ton i don't um, herp by myself very often or just go herping in general. I traveled to Peru a few years ago and I wasn't as educated at that point in the species that I was going to be able to see. I would love to go back with more education than I have now, kind of go back to the places I went, try to find same species of animals I saw, um, and like really delve into not only the reptiles and amphibians that are in the area but also really the insects and the invertebrates because it was just so fascinating and I wish I'd done more research ahead of time to really make that a a more meaningful experience for me not in the slightest sense saying it wasn't meaningful but but just really being able to dive a lot deeper plus it was just the most amazing trip I've ever been on love to make it to Australia though hoping to make it there in the next five years so I guess we'll see um and then the next couple of questions are, are more about uh, kind of, you know, what the podcast is focused on. So being a woman in the hobby and um, someone asked, like, what does it take to be in a male-dominated hobby and career? I think my answer for all of this is really going to be it takes finding your community. And I think that's not necessarily just for women in the hobby, but I think it's it's for people getting involved in anything. I think 
think having your community and having your village behind you is so important. Um, and if that for you is finding a village that has similarities to you in the terms of um, a, a village of, of women, a community built around women, a community built around LGBTQ people, a community built around people who like reptiles and also live in Florida or those kinds of things. I think that's that's the biggest thing for me. Um, and understanding that barriers that are maybe getting women into the hobby, it really does revolve around that community. And it's because a lot of times women can enter the hobby and, and not see large representation, which is why having groups and having people share their voices and, and having places where people can learn from women or learn from people like them is so important um, to make them feel more comfortable and, and welcome. Another person asked, would I consider mentoring a younger female keeper? Which I thought was the sweetest thing in the world because I can't imagine anyone uh, asking me to mentor them because I still think that I'm a kid. <laughs> but yeah, I I am 100% open. I love it when people reach out. I absolutely love it when younger women reach out specifically and ask about my animals or want to learn more. Um, my younger cousin came to visit a few months ago now, and in my head she was 10 years old, but she's actually like 15, which was weird. <laughs> and, and she told me she got into animals and she got into reptiles specifically. In the weekend that we had, being able to bring her up to my friends Matt and Kaylee at KMB Reptiles and pull a clutch of all python eggs and see a clutch that had hatched that day. And then going to the Cincinnati Zoo and hanging out with Ryan Dumas of Rad Reptiles and getting to see the Galapagos tortoises and then going to the Newport Aquarium and seeing all the awesome animals there and then coming back to my own collection and just like was such a fun weekend to just share my passion with my cousin. Um, so Kate, hey, if you're listening, we're going to get you a gecko soon, I promise. We'll convince your mom. We're, we're going to work on it. So also, Grandma, if you're listening, just get Kate a gecko. Like, she, Mary's not going to say no to you. But uh, yeah, I think that I didn't recognize that, I, I guess in some regards, I could be considered a mentor to her. But really just sharing those moments with her and getting her joy like seeing it was so beneficial to me too. So yes, if you want a mentor, if you want someone to talk to, reach out, would love to talk, but understand that this is like a mutual thing. Like I'm just as excited to talk to you as you possibly are to talk to me. Um, and I'd be honored to talk to anyone who has questions about it. Uh, another great question that I think kind of segues into our last, our, our next conversation about uh, Betty White and telling her awesome story is the question, how celebrities keeping reptiles influence the hobby? And I think that this specifically was talking about traditional celebrities, not necessarily reptile celebrities. Um, and I think that's a double-edged sword because I think on the one hand, you can have celebrities that do it really, really well, but you can also have celebrities that don't. Um, but I want to talk about a good example. I think a, a really fun example right now of a celebrity that is a positive influence on reptiles in the hobby would be Kim Kardashian West and her daughter Northwest. Um, her daughter has two bearded dragons that uh, she posts on TikTok every now and then. Seem to be in really good setups, uh, got great lighting, lots of space. And I think that even though North is a kid, there are a lot of kids on TikTok um, having a positive representation of like good keeping of a common animal 
um, is awesome and I think really could get more younger kids or, or just people in general interested in the hobby. So I think that we need to understand also, though, that celebrities are human. Um, there is some benefit to us, whether you like Facebook groups or not. As a non-celebrity, you can enter a Facebook group, ask a dumb question, and get your answer. We need to recognize that with most celebrities, they don't have that luxury of just getting on their personal profile and joining a Facebook group and being like, hey, how do I care for this? Or how's my setup? So I think that we can look up to celebrities and be happy to include them in, in the, you know, the Herp community. But we also have to understand that we should be just as respectful to celebrities who keep reptiles as we are to the everyday person who's getting involved in reptiles. And I think that that's really good because when Kim Kardashian got the first the lizards for the first time, there was a lot of comments, um, mostly very respectful of telling her how to improve her husbandry. And it seems like she has, but recognizing that just because you don't know the person and you'll probably never actually meet Kim Kardashian or another celebrity, we should still be kind and show a positive view of the, the reptile community with how we interact and, and give our education to them. Um, so yeah, that's, awesome. My rambling for a few minutes. Hope you don't mind. I like answering questions. So if you have anything else you want to ask me, maybe we'll do another one of these in the future, which is a little bit more Q&A and then another uh, biography because I really, really love researching these incredible people. So I'm going to do a quick break for our sponsor and then I will get back with the story of Betty White. Are you tired of changing a reptile's UVB light every six months? Well, VivTech Products has the perfect bulb for you. The VivTech SureSun Series UVB and UVA bulb has a typical four-year lifespan with no UVB degradation. That means that your pet will always have the UVB and UVA they need, all while you save up to $400 over the life of the bulb. VivTech, providing a better life for reptiles in our homes and the wild through innovative husbandry. Enjoy the rest of the episode. So I want to start by saying that on January 17th, which would have been Betty White's 100th birthday, I encourage everyone to donate for Betty White Day in her honor to your favorite animal organization. Um, I will be participating and I will be donating any proceeds from the uh, Modern Medusa and Falco Reptiles merch store, um, which is in the description of this podcast and linked on the social media to the Cincinnati Zoo in her honor. So if you'd like to support the podcast and support a great cause, please uh, take a look at that. Before we get into a lot of Betty White's animal work, I'd be remiss not to mention her incredible achievements as an actress in Hollywood. She was named an honorary mayor of Hollywood in 1955, was known as the first lady of television. She has eight Emmy Awards, including one for Outstanding Guest Actress in a Comedy Series for her work with SNL. She holds the Guinness World Record for the longest television career. She has three American Comedy Awards, three Screen Actors Guild Awards, a Grammy, a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and she was inducted to the Television Hall of Fame in 1995. Though she got most of her fame and fortune from her television work, she was known to say that working in Hollywood was just a way for her to sustain working with animals. So she really did use the platform she had as an advocate and then also to get really involved in some incredible organizations. So Betty was born on January 17, 1922 to parents who loved animals. She's quoted as saying, I've loved animals since I was in the womb. I was the lucky little girl who had parents who went for a walk and they'd come home with a dog or cat saying, he followed us home, Betty. Can we keep him? 
And when she was a young girl, she was growing up in California and she wanted to be a forest ranger. But unfortunately, at the time she was graduating high school, women were not allowed to be forest rangers. So she moved that goal aside to start working in writing and acting in television. She was one of the very first women in Hollywood who was a producer and an actress in her own shows. And she had plenty of shows that were syndicated and her career went well until her 90s, up until the day she died, honestly. So obviously she has a very prolific Hollywood career and I'm really not going to focus a lot on that. I want to talk a lot about some of the incredible work she did with animals. One of the very first things that she got involved with was the Greater Los Angeles Zoo Association. The, Greater, the Los Angeles Zoo opened in 1966 and Betty was there right from the beginning. She remembers going to the earlier zoo that was in Los Angeles when she was very young and stated that it was just animals behind cages and it was very sad. So she worked hard to make sure that Los Angeles was creating a world-class zoo for its people and all those who came to visit. Opening in 1966, she was named a trustee in 1974, and she's quoted as saying, Our zoo animals serve as ambassadors to the public, to make people aware of the diminishing wild populations before it's too late, a message that will only register by seeing these wondrous creatures live and up close. So I think that's a really good example of, of how she kind of viewed zoos. She was very, she was a huge advocate for conservation and the work that zoos do to maintain healthy captive species that could potentially be brought back into the wild. To help people understand more about what zoos were doing, she had a show called Backstage at the Zoo, and she would bring her celebrity friends backstage at the Los Angeles Zoo to help the general public understand what happens behind the scenes at the zoos and important work they do. In 2006, the Los Angeles chapter of the American Association for Zookeepers named Betty an honorary zookeeper, and Elka the orangutan was named after her character in Hot in Cleveland. But one of the most important things for Betty, a plaque that she was often seen dusting off every time she visited the zoo, was a plaque dedicated to her late husband, Alan Ludden, in the Australia section of the zoo. While the Los Angeles Zoo is probably one of the most famous organizations that she involved, was involved when, with, she was involved with many more than just that. Another one that was a huge influence in her life was the Morris Animal Foundation and she was a trustee since its conception in 1971. The Morris Animal Foundation is a nonprofit that invests in science to, advocate, to advance animal health. She was a trustee from 1971 to 2013, and they created a, the Betty White Wildlife Fund in response to the Deepwater Horizon spill and the incredible work she did for, after that. She donated large amounts of money to study over to sponsor over 30 animal health studies on behalf of Morris, including the spill's impact on bottlenose dolphins. In 2020, the Betty White Wildlife Fund was able to provide over a million dollars to support and rescue animals from the tragic wildfires in Australia. In addition to her work there and at the Los Angeles Zoo, she worked with Bravehearts Therapeutic Riding and Education Center, which is focused on using equine therapy and boasts the largest equine-based services program for veterans in the U.S. She was a generous supporter and sponsored a horse called Baby. While she loved animals of all kinds, canids had a very important place in Betty White's heart. She was a judge at the American Humane Hero Dog Awards in 2011. She was a major donor to multiple guide dogs for the blind organizations, and she even took home one of the dogs that had to end his service training due to an injury that was her pet for a very long time. 
Outside of domestic dogs, she was a huge supporter of the Endangered Wolf Center, which cares for endangered canids and reintroduces them to the wild. Carol Perkins, who's the co-founder with her husband and famed zoologist Marlon Perkins, credits Betty with her interest in wolves. After first meeting Carol, Betty sent her a book about wolves, and that's where Carol really found her passion in it. A few more of the notable honors that Betty White received include, included the Humane Award in 1987 from the American Veterinary Medical Association for her work with animals, the bronze commemorative plaque near the gorilla exhibit at the Los Angeles Zoo given to her by the city of Los Angeles in 2006, her honorary degree by Washington State University's Washington State Vet- Veterinary Medical Association in October of 2011, the Jane Goodall Institute Global Leadership Award for Lifetime Achievement she received in 2009, the 2017 James Smithson Bicentennial Medal for her commitment to wildlife and efforts to create a sustainable planet specifically through her charitable work with zoos and animal rescues, and perhaps my favorite, on November 9, 2010, the U.S. Forestry Service made Betty an honorary forest ranger, fulfilling her lifelong dream. In 2010, at the time of her appointment as an honorary ranger, more than one-third of forest rangers were women. As I was researching more about her, one of the things that also really caught my eye was her incredible giving spirit, even without recognition. It wasn't made public until after her passing from the Audubon Aquarium that after Hurricane Katrina hit in 2006, Betty White paid for her plane to evacuate penguins, sea otters, and other aquarium animals to the Monterey Bay Aquarium. This selfless act was done without any fanfare because she truly cared that deeply for the animals and not for any credit that may have come back to her. With lifelong achievement and obvious passion for animals, there are two quotes that stuck out to me that I wanted to share before we close today. The first one is about her parents. She said, They imbued in me the fact that to me, there isn't an animal on the planet that I don't find fascinating and don't want to learn more about. I often say that I have to stay in show business to pay for my animal business. And on her many honors and awards, she said, What a privilege to be honored simply for my passion, for what I love most in the world, animals. Once again, I encourage you to check out the Betty White Challenge and donate to an animal organization in Betty's name on January 17th. All of this information was compiled across a bunch of different sources, including Wikipedia, Wolf Republic, CNN, Southern Living, CNET, Variety, Today, Smithsonian Magazine, and the LA Zoo. All of it will be linked in the description of this podcast. I want to thank you for your continued support, for letting me share um, Betty's story, and for hopefully donating in her honor on January 17th. And to Betty, thank you for always being a friend. We'll talk to you next week. Goodbye. Thanks for listening.